This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. For people coming into plant medicine seeking answers, it is important to remember that plant medicine is not the way of healing, but a way of supporting our healing. Valeria Tejas interviews Carrie Jahan, the author of The Devil's Yoga, A Woman's Journey from Entrapment to Freedom. For 10 plus years, Carrie Jahan has been a practitioner of transformational wellness modalities. She holds a deep passion for her work and tender compassion for her clients. Her offerings include wellness-related lectures and workshops, as well as free monthly channelings of light language, a multi-dimensional language that is understood by our hearts and souls. Carrie's healing practice started as a result of her own journey through some treacherous times. She struggled greatly with addiction and depression and had little sense of her voice, her boundaries, and personal power. Her lifelong debilitating patterns seemed unable to shift regardless of her efforts. Finding herself in a desperate place, Carrie began exploring alternative healing modalities that made a real and significant difference in resolving her long-term issues and trauma. In turn, Carrie supports others on their healing journeys by offering the wellness modalities that truly made a difference in resolving long-term struggles and restoring wellness. Carrie works through writing to strengthen her voice and share her truth. Carrie wrote the books, The Devil's Yoga, A Woman's Journey from Entrapment to Freedom, and The Mystery of Judas. Carrie is a contributing author and editor to the book, Pathways of Intentionality, Breaking Open into the Vastness of Devotion. Carrie is featured in the documentary, Queen of the Sun, What Are the Bees Telling Us?, and wrote a chapter in the companion book to that documentary. Carrie offered the podcast, Quantum Leaps in Healing, which explored alternative healing methods. Carrie holds a bachelor's in environmental studies from SUNY ESF and an MPS in adult education from Cornell University. Meet Carrie at carriejahan.com. Here is the interview with Carrie Jahan. In your own words, who is Carrie Jahan? Goodness, in my own words, I would say that I am definitely, I think, with all of us, I think that we're a form of consciousness, that we are 
We are exploring and we have our places that we fumble and our blind spots. And I think that I think that there's much joy in each of our incarnations. And as Carrie Jahan, I, I feel like I have had a set of lessons and continue to be exploring these particular lessons that I incarnated to explore and Sometimes it's a joy and sometimes it's a bit of a hiccup, but I think overall it feels like a real blessing to be in this form and to uh, to be Carrie Jahan in this lifetime. So when you say incarnation or being incarnated, is this a belief system or a knowing? It's interesting. I I love that question. I do feel that there is a lot of our life experiences that that are not based in knowing that somehow they're just this, well, you know, I've learned this and therefore this is true, or this is what I've, what's been happening in the spiritual communities, that this is the particular kind of information going along and we play with that. And we believe it's true. And I, and I'm not so sure all of it really is. Um, for me, I do feel that there's a knowing that this is one of many incarnations. I do feel connected to other time periods. And at the same time, I'm completely open to this being a mystery that I can't explain. Mm -hmm. And for right now, this is the knowing that I have and that in time it could evolve. And in two years, I can be laughing at, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I ever believed that to be true. (laughs) You know, so I do feel that it's a knowing, but I'm also very into exploring how that evolves over time. So you wrote the book, The Devil's Yoga, A Woman's Journey from Entrapment to Freedom. So I'll be asking you more questions, specific questions about your book. But before that, I'm interested to know, what is freedom to you? What is your idea and understanding of what freedom is? I think in this particular circumstance, especially related to the book, it was about being free of shamanic sorcery, free of being entrapped, free of of being told that the truth lies in this direction when really the truth is over to the other direction. And so I think for me this this freedom is a is a freedom of the of the falsities that I bought into. I do feel like it's a very it's a lifelong process. You know, in this particular instance, you know, it's kind of free of the entrapment and free of this and in, in kind of being enchanted by by falsity and by things that weren't true. And I feel that over time, it's something that we or for, for me, at least continue to evolve into. I'm free of the the beliefs that I even took on as a child and belief, you know, the the false beliefs of even within the spiritual realm and just finding our truth more and more and more, I feel like is a, is a pathway to freedom. What is spirituality to you? And what is spiritual healing? Hmm. Well, it's interesting. I think for me, uh, I'm very left-brained. <laughs> I used to love science and critical thinking and all of this. And for me, I always felt like all of us are spiritual. We all have our mental bodies, our physical bodies, our emotional capabilities. And we all, from my point of view, have a spirit. And so our spirituality can look so different. Maybe to a football player, their spirituality is when they're in the zone, right? And and then that's where they're really feeling that connection. 
But I think all of us, we have our physical bodies and our intellect and our hearts. And I think that for me, it's just one aspect of our totality. And I, you know, I feel like there's been a little bit of, of an emphasis on somehow the spiritual aspect is the most important. And I, I would question that a little bit and say that I think it's an, our totality. Mm-hmm. And can we, can we integrate all of our, all of our beingness in, in a moment or in, you know, a given moment? And so I feel like it's, it's, it's not just one aspect of us, but us in our totality. Yeah. Some say the body, the mind, the spirit. Would you say the same thing or would you add another component? I would definitely add the heart. Mm, yeah. um, I think that the, the heart is actually for me, the more I can get into my heart, I feel more connected to everything, not just like my, my own <laughs> spirit, but to other people and to the earth. And I feel like we do have like a little bit of a mind, body, spirit movement. And I feel that the the key part of that, at least in my life, has been through the heart that we connect and integrate everything. Uh, the concept, the idea of unconditional self-love. Do you believe that it's one of the most important practices that we can experience, unconditional self-love? And if it is, if you believe that, how do you practice it in your life? I, I do feel that it, it's very important and very, very key. I think that for me, this unconditional self-love is it's a way to to view all of life, not just aspects of it. Like, oh, in here, this is where I'm excelling and this is where I'm a good person and that part of me is lovable. But then I'd be denying the my shadow parts, my anger or my grief or whatever that might be and judging them. And when I'm judging them, I'm not embracing them. I'm not allowing them to, to be integrated and to be, to be healed. And, and so I do feel that there is this totality. And for me to you know, try to observe it and say, okay, well, here is a place where I'm really, really struggling. And can I love that aspect of me and even understand why that part of me is angry or why that part of me is, you know, whatever. And why am I afraid? You know, can I, can I lovingly look at my fear and embrace it? And then underneath that, see another aspect of myself. And I think that when we, when we do that, when I do that, then I'm experiencing more of a totality when I'm not ostracizing a part of me from my, from my own heart. Um, and so I think that it is really key. I think that there's, this path to to our own unconditional love. It also, it, for me, it brings a lot of sympathy and understanding to other people and to their path and and to you know what what it is that they're experiencing in their life. Would you say that it's possible in some cases that we, by loving others, we ended up loving ourselves? Or oh yeah, I do. I can see that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I can see that I, I can have a little more leeway for other people <laughs> in their humanity, yeah. you know, and then maybe saying yeah. that, can I give myself a little more leeway in my humanity mm-hmm. too? Right. You know? So right. I could see that. And I do feel that it's also grand and mysterious and open to many pathways, you know, that I think that it's beautiful when we have some sense of structure and and a way of being and also just being really open to, okay, well, maybe there's many, way, ask, many ways that we can experience unconditional love for ourselves and many ways it can get cultivated and, and deepened. Another warm-up question I have is about the purpose of life. 
What do you think is the main purpose of the human experience? That's a great question. I've heard in the past that it was joy. And I took that on. I was like, oh, I was young, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was no, like, wow, that, that is so great to hear that it's about joy. And then someone else later on in life was like, you know, we're here to really explore through relationships. And then that's the key of why we're incarnated and what we're here to be doing. And that's our purpose. And what I realized was that part of my own path is that I can take on other people's concepts and beliefs pretty easily and and think that they're true. And so I think for me, in my, one of my purposes in this particular life is to actually find what's actually true for me right. and really honor that my truth might be so different than somebody else's. You know, maybe in this life, it's not about joy for me. And maybe it's not about connecting through relationships. Like other people have this knowing that this is it, you know. And, yeah. um, you know, and so I just feel like for me, it's mm. like finding my own knowing um, and knowing and also just honoring the fact that I might not be able to do that while in human form. Part of me might only be able to access part of an ultimate knowing out of form, you know? Um, And so I think that, I think for me, it's, it's finding what, what's actually true for me within the context of all these other truths. And staying with that topic of being a human body, I wonder if we choose to be here. I know I asked the question and someone said, yes, we choose to be here and we choose to go through all the experiences we go through. What do you think about that? I, I was, it, it's interesting. On, on a separate uh, but very related note, I was thinking about uh, a victim. And because I, I was in a conversation where someone says, oh, but we're not a victim of anything, you know, because we've agreed and we've, we have a soul contract. And I said, okay, I hear that on the spiritual level, but on this 3D level, if we were a victim, I don't want to bypass that experience because then I'm actually not healing that anger and the fear and the remorse or the, the agony that has come with it. And I think when I own that and not spiritually bypass it, right. then I then I actually can learn. I also don't want to get caught in the victim consciousness and, oh, woe is me and oh, yeah. something always happens to me, right? Yeah. So I think that there is this balance of of seeing that we are these spiritual beings But then also, how do we really work with that in this incarnation and not just bypass it? And so it's a little bit not directly answering your question, but I I do feel that we don't know. (laughs) You know, Mm. I feel like there is a lot of concepts that we choose our parents, we choose this incarnation. And again, I think that's where I'm at right now, especially after my experience. It's just really questioning what have I taken off to believe where where are these notions coming from and are they coming from people who are really in their knowing and where did that knowing come from um and so i just have to say i i I humbly don't know and i'm really okay without without knowing if i chose my parents if i chose these life experiences i think for me right now it's Do I have the capacity to move through these experiences and to gain the wisdom Mm. that came from the wound, you know, and can I, can I use this, this, whatever I've gained to kind of humbly help other people, not saying I have your answer, you know, I have something that helped me and maybe this can help you. 
I'm sorry, I feel like I'm being really long-winded for your question. No, it's um, really great. I love um, how you're being yourself. <laughs> and this is what the podcast is all about. Uh, just coming from that place of knowing what you know. I do hear a lot of um, that we have chosen to be here, but I also hear something that's a lot more empowering, which is we have a choice to transform Anything that happened, it is happening or will happen to us. We have a choice. It's always our choice. So that is uh, powerful to me. I agree. Yes. I think that that's where I was even getting at with this sense of victim. Like, okay, right. so something did happen and what am I going to do with this? You know, I'm going to yeah. write this crazy vulnerable right. <laughs> book. I'm going to share my story. I'm going to, yeah, right. I'm going to like feel the, the fear and, and work with it and transform it and find some courage. You know, like what, that's where the choice is. I really love that. I, within all of the mystery and everything that we experience, where does the power lie? And I do think it's in the choice of what are we going to do with the, the life experiences that we are experiencing. What do you think love is? What is love to you? Well, I think that, well, it's interesting that the, that the first word that comes up to me is, is medicine, that yeah. love is this medicine. Yeah. Uh, if it's a very it's on experience level is how I experience this, um, this force. I do feel that it's this, it's almost this wordless experience. It's very expansive where everything is allowed and everything is loved and everything is united. And it's this really like even just the word holistic feels too mm. simple for right. it. Right. But for me, it's this expansive force of, of embrace and inclusion and bliss in a sense, you know? Yeah. Do you think it's possible to access unconditional love when coming from a conditioned mind and body? That's a great question. I feel like in in my life, I've had moments of it, especially if I'm doing a shamanic journey or in those those moments of it. Have I have I been able to bring that into my reality in a daily basis? I I haven't. Um, do I still remain open to the concept? Mm. You know, I, I feel that I think that for me, it's, it's healthier for me to work at, with myself as a conditional being. I'm in this body. I'm in the 3D realm. I, I have this mind. And if I acknowledge what is for me with who I am right now, I have these conditions. I view things through, through my perceptions, through my history, through what I've been taught. Um, if I really almost acknowledge that I have this, what do they call that, um, kind of an innate bias, then I think I can be more free of it. Um, and so for me, even though we, we might be able to experience this unconditional love in this, in this realm, I feel like for me, the closest I can get is when I actually acknowledge the fact that I am very conditioned. Mm. <laughs> and then I can True. I can look at that and I can uh, you know, look at that. I'm seeing through my mm. conditions, you know, and can yeah. I can I soften that that perception a little bit and maybe look beyond that? And I think being very well aware that I'm a I have my conditions, even though I right. I try not to live by them. I I know that they're just so a part of me and um, they do influence my life. 
You wrote the book, as I mentioned earlier, The Devil's Yoga, A Woman's Journey from Entrapment to Freedom. Two questions. How did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and intention of writing this book? Well, I think it's almost the same answer. For me, I became a writer because it, it needed to be written. So that kind of gets into the, the inspiration um, part of it as well. Before I even left Latin America, I had drafted the, the outline of the book. And I had 14 pages <laughs> of bullet points, you know, like this happened, this particular situation happened and the bullet points that went along with it and something else, a conversation with so-and-so and the bullet points that went along with it. So when I came home, all I had to do was go back to my outline and then make all those bullet points into paragraphs. And the book was written in seven weeks. It was really fast the way that it came out. And of course, it needed to be edited and stuff like that afterwards. But it's a really vulnerable story to tell. I really um, show a side of me that is that really suffered um, a side of me that was really innocent and didn't know what these that these particular things were occurring and even share a bit of my own madness that was uh, coming out of this experience. But it had to be written and I felt like I'm willing to be vulnerable because I do feel like there was other people that were kind of swimming in the shamanic sorcery and having a, a deep confusion about their own experience. So the shaman is saying one thing and their experiences is not aligned. And so I, I wrote this book almost like a like a lifeline to other people who have had similar experiences. And so the inspiration came because I, I felt like there was a need to be talking about this so that we can have a, a deeper sense of freedom and we can overcome these particular life cir circumstances. Talk to me about shamans. How do we know when we have found the right one, if we need one to guide us mm -hmm. deeper into what life is all about? That's a really great question because I, I do feel that there are a lot of people stepping into that role these days and calling themselves the shaman without the actual training of shamanism. Um, and I think that the term is being used very loosely now. Right. So how do we know that we actually found one? I think that's really tricky because even with this particular retreat center that I was in um, in Latin America, they have wonderful reviews, wonderful reviews, and they're warranted. And they have beautiful people there, really well-intentioned people. Um, and so you could see, you know, look at that place and say, well, this place is really great. But there is also this sense of who is controlling the narrative. If they have really great reviews, were the not-so-great reviews removed? Were... Um, you know, so it's it's hard to actually find our truth, even within the context of of glowing reviews. Because even the the man I got entangled with, people love this guy. You know, he he does have a really wonderful side of him, and he does have a really big heart, and he also has his wounds that cause mm, him to right. participate in in behavior that's not ideal. Um, and so to actually find someone that is in integrity and is in alignment, I think that it is a lot of our own inner work to see if this person is in alignment with us. Um, someone did ask, you know, oh, Carrie, would you, would you recommend this place? And I had said to her, well, 
what does your heart say? What does your soul say? And she goes, I don't know yet. I was like, okay, well, definitely don't be asking me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yet your own heart. It's like, don't look at the reviews. Don't, don't, whatever anyone else said. Like, what is your soul saying about this particular situation or this particular person? So, I do feel that finding a, a real authentic shaman, if we are in need of one, is really quite the the inside work. Um, especially nowadays where they can be promoted and they can be, their websites look glamorous and that all the reviews say exactly what we need them to say and the testimonials are up to snuff, you know. I think it can be really well disguised. Even that, I think, if we do need guidance, then we can always look within, ask those questions to ourselves instead of uh, going outside. It's something that I often don't do. <laughs> well, I have done it before, but I learned my lesson about following my intuition. And what you call heart, would you say is the same thing, Carrie, the heart and intuition, or they are somehow different? I feel like they, they're a little different, but inter, intertwined. And so I feel like our intuition is a, a bit from the heart it's also maybe from the like a, the third eye crown area as well as our gut like our little physical gut and i i feel that in working with those parts of us in a holistic way then our intuition is is more fine-tuned i, I guess i could say it that way that we do have our heart wisdom but i think our gut mm. <laughs> our physical gut also yeah. carries yeah. a wisdom and uh, can we do we know how to work with that and then we also have same messages that are coming in from you know the higher chakras and how do we work with this in 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 a holistic way what is healing finally what is there is there such a thing as being healed as a destination from your perspective um so healing and being healed so for me, healing is integrating. So we have these aspects of us that are, say, disintegrated. I have a, a part of me that, say, was traumatized at the age of four. And that part is maybe it's in my field or a little bit like a fragmentation of the soul, whatever it might happen. I do believe it's like bringing in those aspects of ourselves and integrating them back into our wholeness. And so if it's through working through the feelings of fear or the anger or the grief or the agony, I think it's in, it's in processing that and integrating those aspects of ourselves that had to hide for a little bit that needed to be disintegrated for safety reasons, whatever it is, whatever. Cause sometimes I think that we fragment for our own safety. You yeah, know, there's that right. part of our inner child needed to hide while we were facing an unsafe situation in the household that we we're growing up in. And so I don't feel that there is shame or, oh, we've done something wrong. We've kind of fragmented ourselves. No, maybe that was for survival, you know. And so maybe now that we're safe, can we go and aspect, reach those aspects of us? Can we feel the fear that we couldn't feel in the moment because we were surviving Mm, (laughs) and doing something? Um, And then I, I don't know if I believe that we can be fully healed while in form in our human experience. Like I... I don't know about anything like in terms of enlightenment or reaching a certain destination. I feel that for me, it's just this very peaceful kind of continuous work. Like my day-to-day life is pretty steady and then something will trigger me. And can I look at that trigger to see what part of me is, is calling for some attention or needs some love or needs some integration? And 
And I think for me, just surrendering to that, I, I might not arrive anywhere in this lifetime. It's actually really freeing. It takes me off of, mm. have I failed? I'm not as far along as somebody else. Maybe I should be somewhere else in my journey. I should be better than this by now. You know, like, can I just accept that this is this is where I'm at? Here are my limitations. Here are some of my strengths. And can I just be in this moment with myself? Um without judging I should be along the road a bit further or I can't believe I'm really learning this particular lesson. With myself is uh, is uh, arriving onto itself. <laughs> Let me tell you where, where it's come from. True. I love your wisdom. Thank you. I do have wanted to ask you a question about plant medicine and waska, you know what are the benefits, really? Are there real benefits, uh, healing benefits behind those plant medicine? So I think that there are uh, healing benefits to using plant medicine like ayahuasca. I, I don't think it's the medicine. Like people talk about ayahuasca as the medicine. Yeah. And I feel that that's just another thing that to to be challenged a bit. Yeah. Because I don't think that ayahuasca is for everybody. I don't think even massage therapy is for everybody or tuning forks or like whatever it might be, you know, like, and so I do feel that it's something that we're, we're being conditioned to believe that this is a path and it's for everybody. Even if you have, you know, X, Y, and Z kind of conditions, you know, like the medicine will, will help you with that. And I, I do see the culture and I also see that there's a culture there that's, that doesn't allow the, the negative aspects of the medicine to be talked about. The, the challenges, the, uh, there's a lot of pushback. If, if you meet someone who's really into the medicine, they don't even want to hear the, the dangers that can be accompanied with taking ayahuasca. And so I do feel that there is, um, I feel like it's a beautiful medicine. It is, it can be very, very strong in terms of showing us what it is that, that needs to be integrated, that needs to be healed. But unfortunately, there is this increase in the use of ayahuasca, but there hasn't been this equal amount of increase in people actually trained to use and administer this medicine. It's not something that you can just learn to serve after six months of taking it. I think that there is a real depth to a true shaman's journey with this medicine of years of working with it, of years of being supervised under a shaman who also has spent decades using this medicine. And so we're using it in more of a westernized culture of, oh, hey, here's a yeah. substance, so almost treating it like a, job, a drug, you know, right, and right. here we can just administer it, but not knowing the complexities of what happens even with us energetically when we in, enter into that uh, altered state, which is also a very vulnerable state for us energetically, let alone knowing how to keep a ceremony safe. And these are skills that take a long time to to learn. And so I do feel that there's, it's a beautiful medicine. It's not necessarily held in a way and administered in a way that's safe, especially with this rise of, of ayahuasca um, and that the use of it. Yeah, I love the message, another message, important message that we are unique and not everything is for everyone. This is what you wrote that I found to be interesting. You said, a plant medicine is not the way of healing, but a way of supporting our healing, which resonates with me too. 
Another question I have is, have you found, met a real shaman? I have. I have. Um, she had studied decades in the, in the, in the jungle in Peru. Um, it took me a second to remember. And when I approached her and I said, I've had this horrible experience in Latin America, she said, Carrie, I've got you. I actually had to study how to recognize and fight sorcery as part of my training as a shaman. She's like, I, I see what's happening for you. I can get you through this. And she did. Yeah, <laughs> she did. And thank goodness, you know, yeah, my, yeah. My book was pretty much published by the time I had gotten to her and um, or pretty much written. It was just about to be published. And I would have added her to the book in a heartbeat because she really understood this. But she is she's one person. You know, I've met a lot of other people who have called themselves shaman or they've gone to a course over a weekend or a week. And then they feel like they've kind of earned the shaman certificate. And I feel like it's so dangerous. This is our this is our human experience. This is where we show up to get help when we're vulnerable and we can show up in the hands of someone who is not necessarily as skilled as they, um, they feel like they are, you know, even if they're coming from a really innocent place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting that um, you mentioned a woman shaman, not a man. It seems like women, we, we will hesitate more in the case of the shadow or something that is, uh, trying to come up, we will, maybe we'll do the work deeper to uh, integrate the shadow, the darkness, so we don't have to hurt anyone. I'm wondering if that's true somehow, that we women are better at dealing with power, spiritual powers. Mm. I wonder, I think that one thing that comes to mind is that we're allowed to feel our feelings. I mean, we can't be angry in public, you know, then we get called, you know, all sorts of names right. and stuff like that. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think that part of um, integrating our wounds is being able to feel, you know, and so I wonder if, if that's part of the, the power is our ability to navigate through the emotions that are coming up. Because I do feel like they're, the shamans and the sorcerers have the same exact skill set. You know, they can both see the unseen. They can both move energy. They both know how to use feathers to help clear someone's field. It's just the intent of what they do with their particular gifts. So a shaman will use their gifts to help people and a sorcerer will use their gifts to harm people. And that intent is based on the wounding, you know, and if we have the ability to heal our wounds and then we're in this position of power, we're less likely to then use our power to be abusive in any kind of way. And so I do, I do feel like that difference is in, you know, our capacity to, to integrate our shadow, to really do that deep healing work. And, and if it is true that, that women are more in this position, then I, it brings up the question, how can we support the men to also do the work that they need to do? Um, and what messages are we giving them collectively? I know, how do we support them? Hmm. Have you become a shaman or studied shamanism yourself? Oh, no, I have never. Um, I do do uh, light language. It's a channeled language, a multidimensional language that's understood by our hearts and our souls. And that has uh, came to me naturally a few years back and been working with that consciously. So for me, shamanism, that's like the real deal. That's like going down into the jungle, studying with another shaman for like decades to come. And that's just not my purpose. You know, I never 
like, wow, if I want to be a shaman, I have to do the work. I'm not really called to that, to the jungle. I'm not really called to really, to really dive in and to be studying. It, it's just not, it was never my purpose um, in this life. And I know other people will, there's a, like a North American shamanism. It's not about going into the jungle of, you know, right. Colombia or Peru, <laughs> wherever that may be. Um, but it just has never really spoken to me. What is your purpose at this time? What do you feel your purpose is? I think my purpose right now in the, the decade that I'm living is to really find my own truth. And I think that that is, it will, you know, I think, you know, a decade ago, my purpose would be very different. And who knows when I enter my 50s, if that changes as well. But I think for right now, it's just been fascinating to see how easily conditioned I was when I went to this retreat center in Latin America, how easily I fell into group think. And then it made me see just how much I, how conditioned I've been in my life. And, you know, even we were speaking before, even about these spiritual concepts of we have chosen our parents, you know, um, and see how in my life I've really just kind of taken on things as fact or as true because it came from a so-called authority figure. And I think for right now, it's trying to find my own inner authority. And I love that the word authority has the word author in it. Right. Like what's my, my, my own author for my soul? Or am I living through conditioned reactions and beliefs? And and so for right now, in the last few, few years and maybe the few years to come, it's really just can I access my own inner knowing? You know, can I can I see where I've been conditioned and can I... Can I access a deep, deeper level of freedom by finding my own inner truth? Mm. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that sounds like um, it should be everybody's purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be. Um, so we're almost at the end. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book, Carrie? I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Um, I think just the um, the one thing to read in the book is maybe just uh, one paragraph from one of the head shamans, Mateo. And I had approached him and I told him a bit of what I had experienced. And I just want to read his response because I think that this is really telling. I think that it's there is a lot of gaslighting. There is a lot of, no, this was your problem. This is on you. And I, I read this just to really encourage the listeners, men and women alike, you know, to really question the the practitioner, the healer, the priest, the shaman, if they are putting something back on us as if it's only our right. issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the book, I say I approached Mateo and I told him about my experience with Sam and the intrusive energies. In short, I told him that I had an energy that entered through my second chakra and manipulated me to the point that I was energetically raped. He replied, well, this won't hold up in court. This occurred because your field, your energy field is weak and you allowed an energy to enter. Sam is progressing very well as a shaman. We will check him out to make sure he is clean, but you need to go and repair your friendship with Sam. In fact, it was Sam's energy that called you to the medicine. We're using a beautiful medicine that can be trusted. You should join the next healing round and receive a healing from Sam and the other shamans. A healing round would be good for you. And so I go on to really decode this message because I do feel like this was so common in so many different ways, not even just about sexual predation. But if anything happened in ceremony, it was always the person's fault. 
Um, and so I think that the fact that it did happen is totally on me, you know, that, that it could happen because I say I do have a, I had a past sexual trauma and I say a wound in my second chakra, or it was on me that I hand my power over. So sure, was I susceptible? That's completely on me. But the fact that it happened and that sorcery was allowed to happen, that sexual operation was allowed to happen, um, that's where I just feel like, no, it's not only on the guest or the intern or the staff, you know, the person who is subjected to this. You know, I own my side of it, but I think that there's so much that just gets put right back onto the guest or the client. Um, and then the, the ownership of the perpetrator is not there. You know, they're, they're devoid of responsibility. Um, I really wonder why this kind of things happened. I heard recently also about John of God in Brazil, that he was another person who was um, considered a shaman, but it might be not sure though. I don't know if you know who he is, Gary, but he's I known. Did. I actually wrote about him just a little bit in the book, just in passing. You know, like maybe actually not thinking about it, he might be in there twice just saying, hey, you know, here is someone that was really well loved and well known and people would flock to him. Yeah, yeah. And then here he is, you know, being accused of, of all sorts of horrendous acts. I, I do wonder about this, like when we when we, there's a guru saying he ha he or she has a following. And I think about all these people who are like praising the guru or sending energy to the guru. Is there really an energy exchange? And if the guru is then receiving a lot of energy, do they, he or she, know how to actually process that energy? Or does that amount of power, because they're given power, there's an increase of energy, do they not know how to, to wield that or to even not even take it to begin with, to tell their followers, don't give me your energy, yeah. don't give me your praise, like do your inner work, yeah. don't don't hand it over to me, don't hand me over your, your power. So I just wonder if there's like an energetics of power that we're not understanding, or even even just the fact that we're giving over our power might be a place to start. <laughs> but if yeah. what happens when we someone has a following? What happened when John of God had a following? You know, what, was there too much of an energy increase for him not to know how to, to work with that consciously? And then the shadow side of power kicked in. Mm. You know, so I'm just, just brainstorming, yeah. just kind of talking out loud. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, too. I do believe in the um, idea that any spiritual teacher, healer, the true ones will always empower us to go deeper within ourselves and say exactly that. Yeah, I'll guide you, but you don't really need me. So I do have a few more questions for you, and that is three more questions. Um, what is another word for healing? The one that comes to mind first is integration. So I think that, I think that in integrating our, our fragmented parts is a huge part of healing. So when we're integrated, when we've kind of embraced our shadow and to, to work with that and to, to heal it. I, so I feel like integration is another word for it. And I feel that it, it ultimately brings us more into like a deeper place of love in ourselves. Um, so I think that that's, you know, love is definitely in, integrated into, um, into the healing. But for me, I feel like just the word integration um, is a big part of healing. Yeah. Um, it resonates with me too. I never makes me think about nature. 
that everything is so well integrated. Yeah, and balanced. Yeah, and yeah. balanced, right? So yeah. harmony, balance, and integration. Nature, the imperfect with perfect. Everything comes together beautifully. Yes. So, wow. So two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? I wouldn't. I mean, if it happened right now, I'd want to run inside and tell Krishna that I love him, but he already knows that so much. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. No, I feel like I've come to mm. a place where I, you know, I don't have any regrets. I, you know, I, I um, really kind of looked at where I have, I have come from um, a lot just to be at peace with my own self. And I do feel like I have some projects ahead of me that I'd really love to work on and, you know, it'd be great to continue living, um, but you know, nothing I would, nothing I would change. I feel like it's really been, really a, a blessing. Even this experience that led me to write the Devil's Yoga, I wouldn't even change that. I really, I've really gained so much from that, and an awareness is that I've, I just never had before. And if I had to learn them that way, I would relearn them that way. What are three things about life that you know for sure as of this moment? Um, three things I know. The first one is that I don't know. In my being, there is such a mysterious mystery that is so beyond my comprehension. Um, and I'm really okay with that. I'm really okay with, wow, this is how I'm seeing things. It's just not everything. Right. Um, I think yeah. the second is I know, I, I know my love for Krishna, you know, that is, it's a deep knowing I feel and I just experience it. Like I, if I were to talk more about that, I'd be crying with tears of love um, for him. And, and so that I know. And then I, I have to say this last one is that I know I'm loved by God or creator, great mystery. There is a, there is a, a power that I do feel loved by and, that's not something I grew up with. Um, you know, grew up with this, you know, there's a judging God and whatever, um, and through that path. And I think so coming into my knowing now, um, that I am loved by uh, the great mystery is, is, is progress <laughs> in my being. <laughs> yeah. But it's just something that I can have, have, um, learned, I guess, to experience or have been able to access a bit of that love. Thank you so much again, Carrie, for your beautiful presence, light, fun <laughs> presence, your wisdom, the wisdom that runs through you um, and speaks uh, through your words. Thank you for your work. Uh, thank you for everything. Thank you. And thank you so much for everything you're doing, <laughs> your podcast, through voice, through having other people's voices be heard and their wisdom expressed. I have such deep gratitude for you and the work that you're doing. And yeah, so thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, just on my website will work. So it's Carrie Jahan at, at or just CarrieJahan.com. And um, it's uh, K-E-R-R-Y-J-E-H-A-N-N-E. And that's just on the web. And there's my services are there. The, the book, um, The Devil's Yoga, is also in Spanish. You can download it for like a few bucks um, as a PDF. And then there's also a, a previous book that I co-authored with 13 other people. 
Um, and so that's there too. I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. So thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for everything. Thanks for hosting me. Thank you. Bye for now, Carrie. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Carrie Jahan and her work, please visit carriejahan.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.